Ready to connect with the investment community here in Cleveland? Want to learn about the people, events, projects, and firms that are making a difference? Want all that but feel like you don't have the time? This is the show for you. Welcome to Guardians of Finance. Brought to you by the CFA Society of Cleveland and hosted by Matt McLaughlin, Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, Guardians of Finance will provide you with a chance to foster deeper connections and know what is getting the attention of Cleveland's investment community. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and head to guardiansoffinance.com where you can connect or reconnect with the CFA Society of Cleveland and attend an educational or social event and find volunteer opportunities. And now, here's your host, Matt McLaughlin. Hello and welcome to the Guardians of Finance. I am your host, Matt McLaughlin. In this episode, we talk with Matt Schlarb, Senior Director of Investor Relations at RPM International. Matt has lived and worked all over the world before coming back to Ohio, where he grew up and settling in Cleveland. We talk with Matt about his experiences living abroad, as well as his career path to investor relations, and about his involvement in a local organization that promotes French culture in Northeast Ohio. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode with Matt Schlarb. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate you inviting me. Sure, sure. And maybe just to jump right in, for anyone who's not as familiar with someone in investor relations or an investor relations role, describe what an investor relations role is and what is your day-to-day like? So I think investor relations, the best way to summarize it, it's really a spokesperson to the financial community. So that can be different groups of different audiences, like investors, buy side analysts, sell side analysts, retail investors, sometimes it's fixed income analysts and lenders. So it really runs the gamut. But I think a lot of what we're challenged with in investor relations is we'd like to think that our companies are so important that people are dedicating hours and hours of analysis to our company because that's what we do. But in reality, their time is limited. They cover a huge amount of companies. One of our main responsibilities is being able to provide clear and concise messages about why we are a good investment opportunity. And so that involves a lot of different things. Like one of my biggest responsibilities is preparing the quarterly earnings communications. So that'd be things like press release, presentation, the script, and then doing follow-up calls with analysts to make sure that we're getting our messaging out and they fully understand the story. What's also unique about investor relations, you have to have a pretty wide understanding of the company because you can be asked about any different part. And so I can get some random questions sometimes. And you really have to have a great understanding of the company. And that's a unique position within a corporation because not so many people have that wide knowledge set. So oftentimes you can involve with other aspects of the business like treasury, corporate communications, internal communications. Sometimes it's corporate development. Sometimes it's sustainability. So it really, it's an interesting role within an organization. How does one get into an investor relations role? I'm, I'm guessing it's not a, maybe a traditional career path. Maybe we can start with kind of how you got in there and maybe how others have gotten into investor relations role. Because I feel like it's this, within the financial community, it might be this little hidden gem of a role that maybe not a lot of people know about that at least that aren't on the buy side or talking to investor relations people. But how does one get into that kind of role within an organization? There are a lot of different paths. And I think part of it is investor relations has kind of developed over the past 20, 25 years, where 25 years ago, somebody executive teams were saying, somebody needs to talk to the investors and we may not have enough time to do it. So so so-and-so in this role, go ahead. This is your responsibility now. Over the years, it's become more professional 
and it's become more of a distinct career path for people. Mine, for example, I had more of an analytical background in one of my careers, and we can walk through some of the history and how I actually ended up here. But they were looking for somebody to fill a role in investor relations on the treasury side, and I had the background, but I really had never done investor relations before. But I'd worked with somebody who was the corporate treasurer and investor relations, and that's really where I learned all the different aspects of the industry. So it's something that's becoming a little bit more defined in corporations. And there really is value to investor relations, which I think corporations are learning. And actually, one of my roles that I had, they just recently gone public. And the person in charge of corporate development, it was sort of that mentality where, like, oh, you only need to write. It'll take a few hours every quarter to put the press release together. And so it'll only take a few hours of your time. And then in reality, you realize there's a lot more involved with it than that. And so they brought me in to add somebody who had some investor relations background to sort of fill that role and make it more of a professional function in the organization. Gotcha. Maybe talk a little bit about kind of just your professional background. We'll start off post-grad years and maybe how it developed into your current role. I'm sure there's multiple steps along the way. And then why you looked at getting your charter because you do have the CFA designation and kind of where that fits in. I went to school at Indiana. My background was I was a finance and accounting major, but I was also a French major. So it was kind of a unique background. And because of that, there was people are familiar with the company Cardinal Health out of Columbus. I joined them straight out of school because they had a rotation program, you know, where you get exposed to different functions, but they actually had a rotation in France. So that was really what attracted me to the company. So I started off outside Chicago doing an FP&A type role. Then I got the opportunity to go to France for a year and work in, it was called international finance. It was more of a similar to like a, almost a cost account or an FB&A type role there as well. And then from there, what's interesting, so I was living in Paris at the time. And if in 2004, they had the Winter Olympics in Torino in Italy, I wasn't planning on going. But then I saw the opening ceremony. I'm like, when am I ever going to get a chance to go to the Olympics again? So I ended up just booking a last minute train going down to Italy and on my train, there was somebody, there was an American woman who was originally from Dallas, who was living in Brussels, and she was doing cost accounting at a private equity group in Brussels. So anyway, so we made a connection there. We kept in touch. And probably like two months before I was supposed to come back to the US when my rotation was over, she said, hey, we have this open position in Brussels with this private equity group. Are you interested in it? So I said, well, why not? Give it a shot. So I ended up applying there and I got the job and I ended up living in Brussels for about five years. It was a company called Lone Star Funds. And so they were very active in Asia following the Asian financial crisis. There was some favorable tax treatment for holding the assets out of a Belgian entity. So that's why we were there. And then so after a few years there, basically this is post-US financial crisis. So they started doing many more deals in the US and the Asian region. It didn't fit into their longer term strategy as much as it had been over the past few years. So the opportunities in Belgium were becoming a little bit more limited there. And so they offered me the opportunity to come back to the U.S. to Dallas. But I'm originally from Ohio, so I wanted to come back. So I actually was able to get a role with a company out of Columbus called Methler Toledo. I had a friend whose father worked there, headed up accounting or sorry, taxes. So I interviewed there and I got the job. And what was interesting there, if Methler Toledo, they do precision instruments, but they also do big industrial scales and even some scales in grocery stores. But they have a joint headquarters between Columbus and then Switzerland. So it's a nice opportunity to come back to the U.S. and work in that sort of that international environment, but actually still be in Ohio. And that's where I started off in investor relations because of my financial background. Like I said, I work for a woman there named Mary Finnegan, 
she was the treasurer and head of investor relations for 20 years. And again, I think when she started out, investor relations was sort of a nascent career path. And over time, it actually became more and more developed and it had more and more responsibilities. So she was looking for somebody to help out in that role. And actually, that's how I came into it. And I said, well, it seems like a good opportunity, sort of like having a business degree and a French degree, the investor relations, it's a lot of analytical skills, but it's also the communication. So it's a combination of left brain and right brain. So anyway, so that's how I ended up in investor relations. Cool. That's a really interesting story. Was the driving force for kind of your career path, because it seems like you always wanted some sort of international or you like that aspect. Was that what drove you to kind of the corporate finance route? Or was it more like, I want to be in corporate finance and oh, kind of the international piece just kind of happened to be there. It's, it's always happened to be there. Maybe it has built throughout your career. I'll say when I first graduated school, the opportunity to work in an international environment actually worked abroad was a great opportunity. I was very fortunate because I moved there. I think it was actually my 24th birthday when I moved to France. So that was a neat opportunity. And But I've always had an analytical background growing up. And actually, I got interested on the investor side, looking at like stock analysis and things like that. My uncle was a financial planner and he gave me a few shares of stock. I was in a Japanese bank and this company that did sound production for movies called Todd A.O., I mean, this is a long time ago. He gave me a few books on investments. So that really piqued my interest in the equity space. And then I also thought like I was literally getting checks for like 24 cents where the postage was more than the dividend check I was getting. But that's really what got my interest in it. And then so being in that international environment, it was great experience, both personally and from a professional standpoint to work for these. There's a pretty complex deals when I was working at Lone Star. And then so I'd help hone my analytical skills, but then the opportunity to come back and be in Ohio, but still get to work in, we'll call it in a Wall Street environment, but still be in Ohio. It was just a really great fit for me personally. And where along the way did you say, hey, the charter is something that I want to pursue and get? And how did that go for you? So that actually came about because somebody that I was, one of my colleagues who was South African working in the Brussels office at Lone Star, he had talked about it. So I said, oh, this is, sounds interesting. And I knew eventually I wanted to come back to the U.S. And it was a way to, of course, like you sort of burgeon your credentials by taking it. But it also helped me learn about different areas of financial analysis that I didn't have as much exposure to. And so that was a great fit. And I actually took the first two years in Belgium, in Brussels, and then I took the third year when I was back in the U.S. I'll tell you, in Belgium, it was a little tough because much like Cleveland, the weather in Belgium is not necessarily the best. <laughs> and it was easy to start studying in January. That wasn't a problem. But it was always like May when the weather started to get nice and you could hear the terraces filled with people drinking beer and having a good time. So that really got basically said, I don't want to take this test again. I'm going to study as hard as I can because I've got to pass this year. <laughs> I think there's many people listening that can identify with that story with the charter in May, things getting nice. And I know myself, like countless times, I'm like, oh, that Kentucky Derby really seems really nice. People are out for that right now. Oh, the Minimum 500. That'd be fun to go to. Oh, no, I got the test next week, which they've changed the exam schedule around. So I don't think as many people know that pain of May, but I can definitely identify with you with that. Given your background in corporate finance and whatnot, I know personally, like I, when I was taking the charter because it's so broad. There were certain areas that were tougher because I didn't have any exposure to them in my job at the time, whatever that was. Was there anything throughout the test that was really tough for you because you're working in corporate finance? That's that's only one part of the book. And you're like, wow, what is this? Maybe it's equity valuation or something like that, that you can remember that you're like, wow, this really 
is going to take some time for me to get and I wrote to study because I don't know about this. I don't do this on a daily basis. I think anyone who takes the C of A exam, that's going to be a case because it's so broad in scope that there's always an element that you're not necessarily familiar with. And what's interesting too, so I took the test. There were several areas, particularly like equity valuation, even real estate valuation. But what's interesting is when I got the job at Metler Toledo, I actually ended up using a lot of that because sitting in the treasury department, all the real estate leases and options to buy facilities came through treasury. So I had to do that analysis. So it actually really helped me that I had a background in there and could start working on it. You mentioned growing up, you grew up in Ohio. Was it your uncle was a financial planner? Was that your first exposure to investments, finance? What age was that? What about it said, hey, this is something I want to maybe pursue as a career and maybe in your earlier life, how did that progress into maybe college? So that probably started when I was around probably like my 10th or 11th birthday when he gave me the books. And so I just started reading the books and it was this concept that you could actually let your money work for you. And of course, I had a savings account growing up and getting my, I don't know, $3 of interest every year. (laughs) But being able to read that book and learn about how the process worked and how you could do analysis. And if you did the work that you could actually outperform the market. And that's what piqued my interest. And then as I went through my high school years, I took my savings from my summer jobs and started investing that. And I mean, I can't say that I have any superior analysis skills at that time, but I actually invested in some company called Calpine. I like the name and it, I don't know, it really, that's not <laughs> the best way to analyze the stock. But it was during the time of Enron when they had the power shortages in California and they were actually a power producer in California. And of course, back then, everyone thought they were genius because everything went up. And so that's really like, I thought, this is easy. This is a great way. I thought my analytical skills were validated by what was going on in the marketplace. But in reality, that got corrected very quick when the market turned. But I always had that interest in doing the analysis. And then actually working in investor relations, which is interesting, is I think if you can think how your analysts are thinking, that really helps in the communications and how you tailor your messaging to different audiences. And also, I will say working on studying for the CFA as well, it gives you a better ability to think like a fixed income investor or a lender or an equity analyst, even like retail shareholders as well. Because your message, you're talking about the same company, but you do tailor it a little bit differently to all those different audiences. Building off that, are there any, I'll say kind of generalizations for talking to those different investors that you've experienced in an investor relations role? I'm sure they're all unique in whatever way or whatever angle or questions are asked, but kind of any broad generalization from the buy side to the sell side to maybe fixed income that you've experienced in your career? It really varies by company. And the reason I say that is because Oh, the company I work at now, RPM International, it's a very stable company. I mean, it's growing. It's very diversified. So there's not a huge amount of volatility in earnings. But one of the companies that prior, it was actually an industrial mining company that mined sand. And a lot of that sand was going into fracked wells. So you can imagine energy was just so volatile. So it's a very different shareholder base with that. Many more hedge funds that are focused on the volatility in energy versus where I'm at now, which has a much longer term focused shareholder base. The messaging is different for those different groups of investors and what they're focused on as well. How do you acquire that knowledge of kind of what the investor base is? Is that just having those conversations with them over time, you get that feel? Or is there something that there's a research you can do ahead of time? How do, how do you do that? 
it's a lot of experience. And I was very fortunate. I was at Medler Toledo. Like I got to sit in on a lot of investor meetings. Certain investors would actually be focused on different metrics. Some would be focused on different areas of the business. And then you can tell people are looking more for what are the shorter term results going to be and other ones are focused more on the longer term. But it really comes with experience and going to a lot of conferences, you go to roadshows. And honestly, it even varies by geography. You can tell there's a different type of question when you visit Kansas City versus when you visit New York. This is a question of kind of who's your favorite child, but who's your favorite kind of investors to talk to? I mean, I'm sure you all like them all. They're all your shareholders, but maybe who's the most fun conversations to have? I mean, there are a lot of great analysts, both on the buy side and sell side. The ones I really enjoy learning about are the ones that really get into the business and have really detailed questions. And it's interesting now. So RPM, we're really in the chemicals and coating space. And so it's interesting with the sell side analysts. Some actually have PhDs in chemistry, so they really get into the details of the makeup. And then some are more from a financial background. And so they look more on like what's going on with how do you drive margins? And RPM is a very interesting company too, just from its background that it essentially was like a holding company doing industry roll-ups and buying a lot of family-owned businesses over the past 75 years. And now there's been a shift where certain functions are being centralized to get some of those synergies and help expand margins. So there's a lot of focus on that. And some actually like, it's interesting working for a coatings company, people are, and we do construction chemicals as well. Some people's parents were in the construction industry. And so they're asking, they're really into like, oh, how's this cement admixture or concrete admixture used? Or they have memories of using Rust-Oleum, which is one of our products and ask questions about that. So you just get a lot of different questions from different groups of analysts based on their background and also what their investment style is. How do you get that knowledge? Some of that's kind of specialized. Now, I almost think of healthcare as the sector that people kind of have that specialized knowledge with, but it sounds like, I mean, especially chemicals, I bet it gets pretty detailed and technical. And I don't know if you have any other chemicals background, but maybe how did you kind of acquire some of that knowledge or is it something that you just kind of put your hands up and say, there's no more depth I can go into. I got to defer to someone else. Like, how do you acquire that knowledge? And maybe how do you handle those questions? A chemist, I am not. <laughs> we'll get that out of the way first. But fortunately at RPM, there are a lot of long tenured people here. And so you're able to ask, like when I joined, I was just asking a lot of questions and learning from them because there's so much history here and they understand the different businesses and all the different products that we own. And for me personally, this is also a great aspect of investor relations too, because you have to know a little bit about everything. A lot of times it's actually going on visiting the different businesses and the different units. And that's really, I think, where you learn the most because you learn more about their competitive marketplace, how their products are differentiated from some of their competitors, just understanding the manufacturing products and what chemical inputs go into it. Like I said, you have to know a little bit about everything across the organization. So I've been at RPM for a little over a year and I've learned a lot, but there's still a lot for me to learn about all the different businesses. Was the role with RPM what brought you to Cleveland specifically, or were maybe you looking to come to Cleveland independently? How did that come to fruition? So I actually moved to Cleveland. It was right around 2016. So it was right after the Cavs had won and the Indians were in the World Series. It was a good time to be here, but I actually moved here for an investor relations role with a company called Fairmount Central. And they are an industrial minerals company. So they own sand mines 
And this is another one. I mean, I always thought sand was what you find on the beach. It's very <laughs> different with industrial sand. And I didn't know all the different types of sand that are out there. So that was the role where actually they had recently gone public a few years prior and they had somebody who was just sort of doing investor relations on the side and they wanted to bring somebody in who had some investor relations experience. So that's when I moved and joined the company and moved to Cleveland. It was an interesting company too, because I think I mentioned before that I had worked in Belgium. So Fairmount Central was an independent company. And then they did a merger with the North American entity of a Belgian closely hold a family held company. So I didn't think I'd be back in Ohio working for the Belgians again, but <laughs> that's what took place. <laughs> so interesting. Maybe contrast living in Cleveland, contrast the weather already with living in Belgium, but kind of maybe what are some some things you like, like more about living in Cleveland and maybe some things that, wow, Belgium was really nice because it was X. I'll say not that the Belgians are not friendly people, it takes a while for them to warm up. And I'll say the people in Cleveland are just fantastic. People are genuinely nice. They're willing to help. And actually, my parents grew up in Cleveland. I had family here, so I was somewhat familiar with it. So that's one of the nice things about living in Cleveland. And then in Belgium, the fries, I've got to say those are a little bit better. <laughs> one of the interesting things in Belgium, too, is it's so centrally located in Europe. I was thinking about it that you could drive three hours from Brussels and you'd be in Amsterdam, you'd be in Paris, Cologne was two hours away. And you think about Cleveland, you drive three hours, you're like on the south side of Pittsburgh, Detroit. <laughs> Not that these are bad places, but you don't have the same different culture, the different foods, the different language, architecture, all that. So those are some of the differences. One thing I will say, when I left the US, the beer situation was not great, but coming back, it's caught up quickly to Belgium because that was one of the nice things about living there was getting to try all the different, like every little village had their own beers. And I don't know, it's not like the biggest tourist spot in Belgium, but to live there, there's a lot of history and it's really the quality of life there is quite high. Do you still travel over to Europe and travel west or to the Far East as well? Is traveling still a big part of your life or is that kind of diminished now that you're here in the States? It's more travel around the US because like I had mentioned, I moved from the US when I was 24 to go over to Europe. And so there was a lot of parts of the US that I hadn't been able to see. I actually haven't been back to Europe since the pandemic, but I should. I think I'm going to be going back this spring for a visit back over. So, but no, but I mean, there's so many parts of the US too that growing up, you just, it's always here and you, I didn't really take advantage of it, but clearly there's a lot to see in the US as well. What's at the top three bucket list travel things, either here or in Europe that you haven't been yet? I saw a lot of Europe because living there and also with European vacation, it helps. And the other thing is, I didn't mention this, taxes are not great in Belgium. And so they actually, they gave me a car there and they paid for gas and everything just because in Belgium, it was taxed a lot less than income. You were able to do a lot of travel in Europe and visit a lot of different places. I'll tell you one thing that I really would love to go see and I haven't been there yet is Japan. That's sort of like at the top of my list. A little longer to get there, but definitely is somewhere that I'd like to go see soon. In personal life, what are some of your passions outside of work that you like to do? You live outside of Cleveland, but maybe some things around Cleveland that you really enjoy doing. One thing, and this is sort of when I came back to try to keep that European cultural aspect, there's actually a group here in Cleveland called the Maison Francaise. And so I'm the treasurer of that organization. We try to promote cultural activities around the city. So like we do things like we will go, I don't know if you've been to Edwin's at Shaker Square. It's a really interesting restaurant. So all the people there had previously been in prison 
and they go there and they actually get a place to live and they get education. And they learn how to work in the restaurant industry. There's a chef or as a server. And it's just a great story. They actually did a movie there, a short film that was up for an Oscar a few years ago called Night Skills. In the food, it's fantastic, and it's a great mission. It's great food, and it helps promote French culture in Cleveland. We do, of course, we take advantage of things like we do a French guided tour of the art museum. We'll go to the orchestra when there's a French composer, and they're actually opening one of the French are opening a cultural garden along MLK soon, which I know we've been working hard for for several years. So that's one nice thing that you've you're still able to keep a little bit of that European culture and, and that's the thing is I mean Cleveland is a pretty diverse community in terms of restaurants and different groups around town so that's one thing that I probably wouldn't be taking as much of an advantage of had I not had that exposure living in Europe I think one of the more well-known French restaurants around the area is Chez Francois in Vermilion given that you are probably have a better eye for French cuisine what are your thoughts there I think it's fantastic, but your palate's probably more keen to that kind of stuff than I am. It is. So I live in Tremont, so it's a little bit of a drive for me to get out there. It's fantastic food. And I'll say, like, even Edwin's, it truly feels like a French restaurant there, like the cuisine. Because actually, the founder, Brandon, he lived in France for a year. He actually got in trouble with the law when he was younger, and then he was applying for jobs all over Europe, and one chef took him in. And so that's where he learned his culinary skills were in France. So it's really an asset and a gem in Cleveland. We're very fortunate to have it. So as we are with Chez Francois. For sure. We have this rapid fire lightning round questions, which one of the questions is, what's your favorite hidden gem? So I think we got the answer to that question. But maybe if it's okay with you, we can kind of go through those rapid fire questions. And usually it's a fun part of the show. Sure thing. Do you have a nickname? When I was younger... I mean, you can do a lot of stuff with Schlarb, but <laughs> my nickname used to be, so I was on a swim team when I was younger. And so it was B.A. Bashlarbicus, for those who might know <laughs> the A team. But that's going a little bit further back. That's a good one. That's a good one. I know you mentioned a couple maybe things that you kind of do outside of work, but any other hobbies that you're really passionate about that you often do? Cycling is another one. That's a big thing in Belgium too, because if you're familiar with Eddie Merckx, who won the Tour de France decades ago, and also... The northern part of the country is pretty flat. So when you're in a pretty flat geography, biking's a nice thing to do. And around Cleveland, the amount of trails that they put in over the past several years, and there's actually like more of a biking culture. So people are looking out for it. That's one of the things that I've really been able to take advantage of since moving to Cleveland. Favorite recipe to cook? Maybe it's a French recipe. Confit de canard. I don't know if you've ever had that. It's like duck leg that's cooked in duck fat. So clearly anything cooked in fat is not going to be so bad. But yeah, that's good. And actually, it's kind of a mess and it takes a long time to cook. So oftentimes Edwin's is where I'll go for that fix. Gotcha. Favorite book about investing or finance? It probably would be Beating the Dow. And the reason I say that is because that's the book that my uncle gave me many years ago that really got my interest started in doing equity analysis and learning more about stocks and the stock market. Profession you'd be in if you weren't an investor relations professional? Going back, it might actually be in the State Department doing something with diplomacy. Because actually, when living in Brussels, there's a lot of different international institutions there. You've got NATO there, you've got embassies to the EU, you've got embassies to Belgium. So I was able to meet different people who worked in that department. And it's a lot less glamorous then I think people realize it's not just going to embassy parties and things like that, but it's actually really important, can have a really profound impact on different world events that are going on. Favorite metro park? Probably Edgewater, just because it's not so far away. And it's just such a gem too. And it's so close to the city. And 
the one thing moving from Columbus to Cleveland too, having the access to the water, it's just such a nice feature in Cleveland. I think people in Northeast Ohio are finally realizing what an asset it is and are utilizing it more. That's one place. I've never had a bad time going to Edgewater. If you're on social media, favorite social media follow. I'm not really on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, but beside that, I really am not involved in social media. Okay. What show are you watching right now? I watch a lot of reruns. They're tried and true. Modern Family is by far my favorite show. I just think it's every episode's hilarious. I actually started watching a Canadian show called The Lake about this group. It's kind of like a comedy. It's more along the lines of like a Schitt's Creek type show, kind of Canadian humor, but <laughs> it's pretty good. It's an interesting show. Have you become a Cleveland sports fan after living here? Are you still, maybe the allegiances lie somewhere else, or maybe you're more into, you mentioned you go to the theater, French theater, maybe more into the fine arts scene in Cleveland. I like sports. My parents grew up in Cleveland. I was raised a Cleveland fan. One thing I'll say about Cleveland too, there's a lot of things to do here. Other cities have the same thing, but what I'll say is a lot of here, the things are accessible, and that includes the fine arts. It also includes sports. I was actually talking to somebody last night, and they said they were in Boston. Their, I think their sister or speech said, let's go to a baseball game here in Cleveland with their sister from Boston. It's like, well, that's going to cost up four things. Like, we can get the standing room tickets for 15 bucks In Boston, that's $90. <laughs> I've always been a Cleveland fan, and I think like with the Browns, if I wanted to switch, the time was probably the late 90s when the Browns <laughs> had left. I Missed out on that opportunity, so I'm stuck with the Browns for a while. What's your most disappointing Cleveland sports moment? There are plenty. <laughs> I'd say it's probably 97 World Series. It was so close. 2016, like we really weren't supposed to be there, and such a good comeback in the rain. But I think 97 was probably the most disappointing. What's your favorite Cleveland sports moment? Probably Cavs victory. <laughs> There aren't so many to choose from. But I mean, like, even with the Indians slash Guardians, there's been so many good moments there. They're just such a likable team, too. I know this season hasn't gone as well as people had anticipated, but the Cavs is probably the clear at the top of the list. What's your favorite fine arts performance that you've seen in Cleveland? And there are a lot of those, too. The other one is Blossom, which isn't maybe not as classical, but it, a Blossom is always a great place to go. But there was a show they did. It was... Camille Saint-Saëns, he had a performance called The Egyptian, or he wrote a piece called The Egyptian. And the person playing the piano is Jean-Yves Thibaudet. And I couldn't imagine moving my hands that fast, let alone hitting the keys properly. It was incredible to see live. That is the end of the rapid fire questions. Appreciate the responses there. You know, just a preview for the people involved in the society. I think it's on January, I think 10th, we have it penciled in that Matt is going to be presenting RPM just throughout the company and bought financials and whatnot. So that's going to be available to the society. And we're really looking forward to that and having Matt at an event. And hopefully we can do it in person. That time of year, we kind of penciled in as, as maybe virtual, maybe in person, just given weather. But we're really looking forward to that. And Matt, thanks for joining the show today. It's been a really interesting conversation and we appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate the opportunity and look forward to speaking to everyone again in January. You've been listening to Guardians of Finance, brought to you by the CFA Society of Cleveland. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and head on over to guardiansoffinance.com where you can connect or reconnect with the CFA Society of Cleveland, attend an educational or social event, and find volunteer opportunities. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Guardians of Finance.